0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the third episode of the House of Deputies Blue Book Podcast. I'm your host, President of the House of Deputies, Julia Ayala Harris, and it is my pleasure to guide you through the fascinating world of the General Convention and its interim bodies. This podcast is your bridge to staying informed, engaged, and connected with the pulse of the Episcopal Church. Whether you're a deputy to the 81st General Convention a member of a local parish, or simply a church geek, you've come to the right place for valuable insights, thought-provoking conversations, and a deeper understanding of the church's role in today's rapidly changing world. The General Convention is the governing body of the Episcopal Church meeting every three years. This time we're meeting two years later because of the pandemic. It's made up of deputies and bishops from each diocese. And in the months leading up to General Convention, a number of Blue Book reports are created by standing committees, task forces, and what we call interim bodies of the Episcopal Church. Interim because they're bodies between General Conventions. These reports provide background context and review process on various church initiatives and programs. They also put forth policy recommendations for priorities, budgets, and potential resolutions for General Convention to consider. In the past, the reports were published in a book with a blue cover, hence the term blue book reports. Brilliant, isn't (laughs) it? This book helps deputies and bishops prepare for discussions and decisions at General Convention. However, it's important to note the blue book is now completely virtual and is no longer a literal book. But that's for the General Convention Office to answer. Some of the key blue book reports cover topics like the church's budget, social justice issues, church structure and governance, liturgy and music, ministry programs, ecumenical relations, and more. Blue Book reports shape the agenda and output of each general convention. They provide critical information that underpins the church's priorities, policies, budget, and administration for the next triennium. We have deputies from two such standing commissions here with us today. In this episode, Cultivating Leaders, Formation and Mission with deputies Catherine Carr Cornejo and Judith Conley. Today we'll dive into the endeavors of the Standing Commission on Formation and Ministry Development and the Standing Commission on World Mission, illuminating their significance for both the current and future trajectory of the Episcopal Church. This episode provides a journey through the program shaping our leaders and extending the church's mission across borders, showcasing initiative approaches to ministry formation and emphasizing the interconnectedness of the global Episcopal community. So let's dive in and get to know our fellow deputies while exploring how these pivotal topics are shaping our churches tomorrow. Thank you so much, Deputy Judy Conley and Catherine Card Cornejo for being here today on this podcast. Thanks for the invitation.
1: You're welcome.
0: This is so exciting. So let's tell the listeners a little bit about who you both are, what diocese you're in, and what your ministries look like and you can jump in whenever.
1: Would you like me to be in?
0: Go ahead, Judy. I'm,
1: <laughs> sure, I, I'm Judy Connolly, um from the Diocese of Arizona. Uh, I'm a deputy uh, for General Convention and I'm a senior deputy, which means that I've been to at least 10 General Conventions. Have you
0: really been to 10 General Conventions?
1: <laughs> in some form yes
0: oh my gosh that's 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 amazing amazing.
1: (laughs) it has morphed quite a bit (laughs) i bet that's a whole nother podcast indeed Uh, in my diocese i uh, have been working with the anti-racism committee uh, which has been pretty much my um, life's passion I have done anti-racism training for quite a while and um, I am doing it in the diocese as well. Um, is there something else that you'd like to hear about me?
0: Maybe just, I, I can think of two additional things. One, you all in Diocese of Arizona will be the host of the 82nd General Convention in 2027. Oh, okay. <laughs> So maybe you could put a pitch in for that at the end.
1: Yeah. Oh, indeed. Uh, I was at the general convention in 1991 when it was held <laughs> here. And I, was ask. Um, I vowed that I'd never go back to Phoenix, Arizona in the summer. <laughs> However, I'm a, I'm a testament uh, to one who makes vows that vows can be changed. And I've, I've learned that obviously it's going to be hot, but Arizona is used to the heat, so it knows what to do in order to take care of its visitors as well as ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it will be um, a good time. Um, I can almost assure you I won't put it on the line, but I don't think you'll need your umbrellas.
0: (laughs) That sounds good, Judy. That sounds good and the other piece i was thinking is that i've known you for what is now uh over 10 years i think because we served on the on Trek, the task force to reimagine the episcopal church together and so you've been yeah you were a guide to me then even so i'm I'm thrilled (laughs) to have you here
1: (laughs) that that was a wonderful committee i mean we were surrounded and, and in the midst of such wonderful people yeah. Um, yeah. to work on what the church should look like and uh, it was very rewarding. And I've spent as, as part of World Mission uh, and the reason I'm on it is that because I was a member of the Anglican Consultative Council mm-hmm. for nine years, uh, which gave me uh, a completely different perspective of who we are as the Episcopal Church. Hmm. in the wider sphere of the Anglican Communion, and the differences and commonalities that we have. So it's been quite an enjoyable ministry.
0: Oh, that's so cool. And we're also joined here today with Deputy Catherine Carr cornejo Tell us a little bit about yourself and where where you're at.
2: Yeah. So, hi, my name is Catherine Carconejo. I live in the Diocese of Spokane, mighty eastern Washington in North Idaho. Um, <laughs> as my colleague uh, David Sibley says, if you are in the Pacific time zone in Idaho, you're with us. Um, and we're east of the Cascade Mountains. So mm. it's not rainy where we live. People think you're Washington state and they think Seattle, right? No, that's not the case for us. Um, So I am a parishioner at the Cathedral of St. John the Evangelist in the city of Spokane. Um, I have uh, been involved there. Um, I also have lived in a number of other dioceses prior to moving to Spokane. Uh, My day job is I'm a college professor at at Christian Liberal Arts University, and so it's been a really. beautiful convergence of both what I get paid to do and what I do with my volunteering in the church. Um, In terms of what I do in my diocese, I uh, just finished a term as the co-chair of our commission on ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, I have uh, been a a delegate to diocesan convention multiple times. I've been involved with our beloved community working group and with our formation cohort. Um, So I've been doing a number of things with that over the years. Um, and then in my parish, I, uh, served on our chapter, which is our fancy cathedral term for a vestry. And I, uh, was junior warden at that time, which is funny because, uh, we have a really strong property committee. So I didn't really have anything to do. Um, but it's <laughs> nice not to supposed to field. say that,
0: <laughs> what? and were I'm you just... in that role? Also the youngest junior warden that
2: the church? I, I was fairly young. Um, I was mm-hmm. also fairly young to be on chapter Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. and to not have like a relative who had served before. Right. Um, Right. And, you know, I've done a number of things with like, you know, writing prayers to the people, leading prayers, um, but my main, my main love, and no offense to any of the other committees I've served on in commissions and boards and whatnot, but the best committee ever is the Evangelical Evangelical Cathedral's Adult Faith Formation Committee. Uh, we are amazing, and it's really fun, and we uh, think about how to meet the formation needs of adults in our congregation, and it's just an absolute delight, um, and since I teach you know, young adults primarily, it's a, another great way to use gifts and skills for both uh, formation and discernment in those areas, and so that's a little bit about me. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm also realizing
0: that this is my third podcast in this series, but my first where it's all lay women and Yay. all laity. <laughs> <laughs> We're giving all kinds of thumbs up and cheers. Um, so here is my get to know you questions. So deputies can get to know who you all are, aside from what interim body you're on. And that is, which decade do you love the most and why? The 1960s, the 1970s, the 80s, the 90s? Oh, these are deep
1: thinking faces. <laughs> you guys took this really seriously. Well, I've been around more decades <laughs> than
0: you <so> <laughs> You have more to choose from. <laughs>
2: and does it have to be a decade in which we were alive no it could be the 20s if you're really into flapper
0: stuff it could be whatever you want it to be or the 1870s or you know maybe i would say the 1780s because the house of deputies started meeting in 1785
2: Before my (laughs) time. This makes me think about the question that sometimes people ask, you know, like if you could live at any time, when would you live? And my answer to that is always like the future. I want to live in the future (laughs) because, you know, I'm a woman, I'm educated, and things would not have been great for me in most of the past. (laughs) Oh, right. So you pick uh, a
0: future decade.
2: Yeah, yet to be determined because. Yeah, but you know, when I think of like culturally, you know, I was in high school in the 90s, I was in college in the early 2000s, and that is definitely like the nostalgia bomb, right? Like when I hear the music or I see, you know, my 20 year old students dressing the way I dressed at 20, and <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I remember that. And so like, I have affection, nostalgia for that, but I would not want to live then again. I wanna live in yeah. the future. Right. I completely feel that.
0: How
1: about you, Judy? Okay, well, if I had to choose a decade, um, I would say the 60s. Yeah. And the 60s because there was so much uh, aliveness during that time. Um, In addition to the civil rights movement and all of the activity around that, um, people of my age and ilk were uh, happy people pretty much. There were the flower children and Mm -hmm. uh, the hippies, and. um, You were starting something new and edgy. Yeah, everything was different. And people were willing to explore. Nonconformity was the standard. Um, (laughs) And so it it was a fun time, and, and the music was great.
0: Right, right.
1: And we have wonderful music then.
0: Which is one of the things that. I tend to be nostalgic for the 90s having been a teenager in the 90s and watching my daughter in high school wearing clothes that i would have worn in high school in the 90s which was at that time kind of a tribute to the 60s a little bit not not Mm -hmm. full bell-bottom pants but you know like boot cut pants and lots of denim i'm just so happy denim's back i can't tell you (laughs) i feel vindicated (laughs) anyway Since it's not a podcast about fashion, although I really want it to be, and we'll get there at some point, I'm sure. um, Tell us more about the interim bodies that you both served on and what initiatives that body has that's coming to the 81st General Convention. And just Mm -hmm. feel the jump on in. Oh yeah.
1: Well, I'm a member of the um, Standing Commission on World Mission. And uh, that commission's uh, basic mandate is to identify global mission in a domestic and foreign missionary society um, in our diocese, congregations, mission organizations, etc. And to develop policy proposals for world mission um, for consideration by General Convention. Uh, We had two major mandates from the last General Convention Uh, General Convention uh, 80, Uh, the one that uh, has received quite a bit of attention by our commission is the one, uh, it was A017, Mm -hmm. and it dealt with colonialism and how our church participates. And Mm -hmm. as a study on colonialism, Uh, We've also uncovered Christian nationalism Mm. as a major issue that had to be uh, wrestled with. And so um, we've spent a great deal of time on that. The other resolution um, mandated that uh, General Convention encourage dioceses, seminaries, uh, jurisdictions, etc. Mm-hmm. to appoint uh, an individual to be represented on something we've called now uh, the Global Mission Advocates. Mm-hmm. And the Global mm-hmm. Mission Advocates is a, a group of people from all of the places that I've just mentioned uh, who gather and we've only worked with dioceses. We've not addressed getting representation from any of the other groups because getting representation from each diocese has been a major um, event for us. Oh, I bet. And we we have quite a few dioceses represented. And Mm -hmm. as a result of that, we're going to be having a conference in April uh, in um, San Antonio. And we will What are the dates for any Um, listeners who might be- April, 3rd through April
0: 6th. Okay, in San Antonio, Texas.
1: Yes, Excellent. I, I, can't I
0: can't Oh, Camp of course, of course.
1: Sure. Yeah, and uh, the purpose of the group is to share information with each other, um, to have the support of others doing like work, and um, to spread the gospel about global mission, within their jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting. We work with um four principles, four guiding principles, um, which are and these are gonna sound familiar to you, Julia, crossing boundaries, listening deeply, living like Jesus together.
0: <laughs> that does sound familiar. Doesn't it, sound
1: like, a little like Trek? it does. Uh, but uh, each of those principles we've uh, been spending time with prior to, to the conference, and um, we're really looking forward to it. the The people who are the we call them GMAs, the uh, Global Mission Advocates, are really excited and have a lot of energy around uh, global mission. Uh, so we're really looking forward to this conference coming up. Yeah. Um, the other area that um, has been of interest is the uh, gender-based violence. And mm-hmm. we've, we've worked and we've done some work on that, but that's going to require um, much more time than we had in this last triennium. That will continue. Mm-hmm. And so the, um, the commission has been working uh, throughout the triennium and with the Global Mission Advocates in addition they've been meeting on a monthly basis um, by Zoom. Oh, that's wonderful. So it's, yeah, so it's, it's working really well. I think Global Mission will now have um, uh, a much better way to present what it is that we are supposed to be doing as a part of the domestic and foreign missionary society.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Judy. And you just reminded me to let folks know in case they don't Uh, That, unlike task forces, standing commissions continue through general conventions and um, uh, their mandates get expanded beyond uh, a task force. Let me back up. A task force only exists typically between two general conventions. So usually a triennium, but a standing commission will continue on for as long as it needs to. And it has two classes that'll have a senior class and a junior class and those appointments are six-year terms. Uh, so that's why when Deputy Conley said, oh, this work will continue, it's because a standing commission can continue the work going forward. So they have a lot of um, uh, high importance, especially to general convention. And Deputy Car Cornejo was on another standing commission.
2: You want to tell us about that one? I was, yeah. So I serve on the Standing Commission for Formation and Ministry Development. And um, it's an interesting uh, Standing Commission in that there were many predecessor bodies. There was, in fact, previously a Standing Commission related to formation and ministry. Um, uh, But there's definitely an institutional knowledge gap between when there was one The things that were kind of like task forces and working groups. And like now we have a standing commission again. And so trying to figure out the lay of the land has been a bit of a challenge for us as we've gotten started. But so we are newly constituted in this biennium. Mm -hmm. um, And we uh, include folks from around the church. We've got multilingual folks, we've got folks in all um, um, orders of ministry and um I, I think i mean i don't have all of the data for everything because you know i love the church but we are not the best at data collection <laughs> yeah that will be on another uh, podcast actually <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but um we may be the only standing commission well no maybe not
0: because sclm is their chair of deacon. there is a there is a deacon on sclm but is he the chair no, he's not the chair.
2: So the chair, we're the only standing oh, commission yes. chair is a deacon.
0: Yes. <laughs> Jess Efring, Robert. Okay. I see. I see. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So, um,
2: yeah, Jess Elfring. And so, um, that's fun. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so we've spent a lot of time kind of figuring out what our mandates are, what we can do best versus what other bodies are already doing to not replicate their work. And so there's been a lot of organizational work that's been going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we are all formation people, and we want to have plans and tasks and projects and things, it's very easy for us to get going on, let's just do things. Um, But uh, one of the things that I really appreciate appreciate about our group is um that together we've recognized actually we need to not just automatically jump into doing um and we need to to think about where we are now and where we want to be and kind of have those big picture um conversations and so um when our blue book report is available you'll be able to read about a number of two and from statements. And so like we would say, this is who we are now and we want to move from this particular context to a different context and to let that kind of dreaming guide our work. And so So for example, uh, commissions on ministry, every diocese has them and we don't talk to each other. Um, Mm. It's really hard to even find out who is (laughs) chairing. commissions on ministries in different dioceses, um, And the structure is for how that all works is different. And so for our standing commission, it was important to say, we want to move from unconnected commissions on ministry who don't know what other groups are doing, who don't have support for their ministries outside of their own diocese, to networked communicating commissions on ministry that have a community and can support one another in mm-hmm. ministry. Um, so that, that sort of structure, um, is how we are framing our, our work moving forward. That is really um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because
0: it also um, helps us be a more learning organization in addition to networking and, you know, problem solving and all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. We were because, that they were
0: isolated, but of course they are.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and even, and everybody assumes that what they know is normal. Right. Right. And, and we've learned that that is not the case. Right. <laughs> um, and particularly with some of the the big picture issues like um, who has access mm-hmm. to um, ordination processes yep. and how they have access, um, we can't address that as a whole denomination if we are not talking to each other about what we're doing and what we're not doing and what's worked and what hasn't. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's really helpful. So so that's something as a former commission on ministry chair, I'm excited about that. Um, We also, we divided into four working groups around kind of different areas of our mandate um, and to respond to the different um, pieces of legislation that were referred to us from general convention. And so we have a working group on lifelong learning, which is uh, the one that I'm most involved with. And we have really focused, again, on access and particularly language access to theological education um, and other materials. Um, You know, we have all of our prayer book material translated to English, Spanish and Haitian Creole and French. However, there are lots of other languages that are spoken in our churches that are spoken in our communities and when people say oh well it's in the prayer book that doesn't help if you're in Tbilisi Georgia and you don't speak any of those other languages mm-hmm. it, that doesn't help if you're in a Korean-speaking community in LA like um, so one of the things that I'm really excited about is um, at least the catechism section of the Book of Common Prayer, we're asking and proposing that it be funded to be translated into a series of other languages that are not official languages of the church, but are languages of the communities of our church. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. And so that can also be an evangelistic tool, but also, mm-hmm. you know, how many times has somebody asked you, well, what's a sacrament? Mm-hmm. And you just pull out the catechism response, right? <laughs> outward <laughs> visible sign of inward and spiritual grace. Because it is. Yeah. Um, and so being able to say, this is what makes our church our church, um, and making it accessible to people in their own language is really important. Yeah. And So in that line, we are also looking at the way that theological education materials are available in different languages or not. and um, And this, of course, gets into a much broader conversation around residential seminaries, low residency seminaries, local formation programs. Um, And something that was really important to our subgroup was that um, when we talk about theological education, we're not just talking about seeking a master's in divinity, Mm -hmm. right? We're not just talking Mm -hmm. about folks seeking ordination, we're talking about all of us. Right. Um, And so we kind of broadened what we were looking at. And so uh, we've done an audit of Um, The catalog, the publicly available catalogs of some of uh, the publishing houses associated with the church Mm -hmm. uh, to see just like what language are things published in? If there's something in translation, what was its original language versus what was in translation? And as is very common, um, and we're focusing primarily on Spanish um, because that was a need that was identified to us that um, particularly for mainland US folks to have access to materials and resources in Spanish. we have a lot of things in Spanish available, but they're almost all translated from English. They yeah. are not originally written in Spanish. And there are not things that are originally written in Spanish that are then translated to English for a broader audience right. as well. Right. And so what we're looking forward to doing in the future is um, kind of really entering into conversation with folks about how can we think about having multiple perspectives that we might not be getting currently because of those linguistic barriers. Mm. Um, so that's one area. We have a working group on mental health as well that's been working really closely with the task force um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, individuals with uh, mental illness mm-hmm. um, and particularly is interested in, again, language access, helping making you know, mental health first aid available to Spanish speaking communities as well. And in um, the first episode um, of this
0: podcast, we interviewed Megan Carlson, yes. deputy who is on the task force for individuals with mental health. So people can listen to that one too.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, to. and and the curriculum's great. You know, they consulted with us on that. And yeah, it's just it's been a delight to work with them. Um we also have a group that is looking at leadership development. Um, and they're uh, proposing a number of resolutions related to materials or research needed to um, figure out how to compensate people who are not currently compensated mm-hmm. um, so that can be deacons or non- stipendiary priests um, and to do so in a way that's legal but also mm-hmm. to do so um, in a way that responds to like our commitment to justice and equity. Mm. Um, Amongst other things, um, and then we have a commissions on ministry uh, subgroup, which, as I mentioned, is trying to bring commissions on ministry together. So, if you're a, a com chair or a com member and you haven't heard about this, please contact me or any other member <laughs> of the standing committee. Standing commission. I love it. Put in plugs. <laughs> so
3: that yeah. sounds really so great. that's a very
2: long way of looking at kind of an overview of all the work. We're doing lots of moving parts, but we are trying to see, to see the whole and to, to work well with others. So,
0: wonderful, yeah. wonderful. My next
2: question for both of
0: you is uh, given the work that your standing commissions have been doing, in what ways is, are these initiatives that you talked about going to challenge the church to live into our baptismal covenant? Judy, you wanna go first on that?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, in terms of uh, colonialism and our participation in that, um, that is not, um, shall I say, um, a very popular um, couch to sit on. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's going, yeah, it's not comfortable. It's, it's, go, it's, going, it's going to push people to reflect on our behavior mm. and uh, how we are um, open to difference mm. in uh, other parts of the world and, I might say, in our own backyard. Uh, as well as Christian nationalism, which has become a great uh, issue for people to look at in the church uh, and through the lens of politics as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that is gonna challenge um, our church to really not be on the middle of the Mm roadside, but we're going to have to make some stands. Mm -hmm. And I know, uh, having been an Episcopalian uh, uh, fourth generation, that that is a comfortable place to be. Mm. But I think we're being called to be uncomfortable, and we're at a point now where we have to say I'm willing. Mm. Uh, It can't be another committee or or meeting or Zoom conference to discuss it, I think the time is now. Mm. And I, actually, that was in the gospel of last week. That word now was used. Yes. And I pulled that out because um, we have enough information. I mean, with technology, there's no way that we don't know what's going on in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have any more excuses. So I, I see that, that, that as tension um, because there are those who still want to be comfortable in their pews and um, on their Sunday mornings and then go about their business. But this is going to become a, a part of a lifestyle
3: in, mm. in terms
1: of change. So I'm looking forward to the, the struggle but I think that it's going to be a healthy struggle.
0: Oh, I feel like you were just preaching. <laughs> well, oh.
1: that's what it takes.
0: I will join you on that uncomfortable, unpopular couch.
2: We're gonna need a bigger couch. <laughs> oh, <okay.
1: laughs> maybe a sectional.
2: <laughs> <It is> sectional
0: <laughs> with an Ottoman or two. <laughs> oh my gosh, Deputy Carr Cornejo, how is your standing commission? incur you know, really um, challenging the church to live into our baptismal covenant.
2: Yeah. So one of the things that I and others have noticed is we often pay attention to the last questions. Um, will you? In the baptismal covenant, right? We really like talking about seeking and serving Christ in all persons, and loving our neighbors as ourselves, and respecting the dignity of every human being, and all of those things are fundamental. Um, but that also means that we kind of ag- not ignore, but we're less comfortable to kind of go with Judy's like, let's be uncomfortable um, with the the earlier will you questions, and so. Um, you know, are we going to continue in the teaching and fellowship of the apostles? Mm. Um, part of what we're trying to do in terms of um, you know, helping bring like equity lenses and accessibility lenses to the work of formation for all ages and all people across the church um, is doing that, right? we're We're trying to ensure that everyone can be met where they are in their formation journey and continue to teach and fellowship and learn and grow in the knowledge and love of God, as you know the Eucharistic prayer says. I'm not a liturgist, don't quote me on that. Um, <laughs> you know, we have to teach people how to recognize evil. How can we resist evil and repent if we don't see it right in front of us? Um, and so how can we help folks see the ways that um, we have harmed or been harmed and how can we learn how to build Christian community together in the aftermath which sounds um, like it goes right to what
0: Deputy Conley was just saying I know I was getting very excited about colonialism that. <laughs> and
2: Christian nationalism how to recognize evil yeah and to, and when you recognize it what does repentance look like what does right. turning around look like Mm-hmm. Um, in, again, in my diocese, that, uh, group of Patriot front folks were in our diocese in quarterly mm-hmm. Idaho, about 45 minutes from where I'm sitting right now. And so how do we as a church bear witness to the harm that's caused, um, and show and live into our baptismal promises to repent and return to the Lord, that that is part of our community. Yeah. Um. So, you know, thinking about that and then, you know, we want to help people be able to talk about Jesus. Um, As Episcopalians, I'm, are you sure? Yes, I am, I am. <laughs> talk about Jesus? Yes. No. Um, yeah. You know, text. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you go to church? Why do you go to this church? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are important questions that everyone uh, regardless of where they are in their faith journey, should be able to to articulate, and that it's not just you have a gift for evangelism or you don't. Mm-hmm. Those are skills that can be learned. And so, how can we support in different areas through lifelong formation toward, through access to materials, um, being able to do that? And one of the things that I forgot to mention earlier, which is funny because it's like the most important thing for my standing commission is uh, Funding and Construction and Maintenance of a a Digital Formation Hub. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Right now, there are lots of great resources out there, and you have to know where to look. Mm -hmm. You have to know, oh, this organization is called this, and they do this thing, or this organization does that, or, oh, I have a friend in this diocese, and they told me about this other thing, um, which is not equally accessible to everyone. And so uh, we are going to be asking for funds to create an Episcopal Formation Hub, kind of like EpiscopalCommonPrayer.org, but for formation materials so that you're an Episcopal church, you want to have, you know, a guided conversation on a particular topic, you can go and look and see what kinds of materials are available, what kinds of resources, what has worked well for people in communities like yours. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're really excited about that because we can collect all of the things, but if we don't have a way to share them, then there's no point. Right. And cultivating that Episcopal
0: identity across, across every church.
2: All of it. Yeah. 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 Because we are one. We are one body, as we say.
0: Yes. Yes. So what are you all looking forward to in this general convention this summer in Louisville?
1: I'm looking forward to seeing real people. I have seen so many. I see faces on a flat screen and only half of a body at most. Um, And it it certainly serves the purpose, and it made all of the sense in the world during our pandemic. And um, you know, for a variety of reasons, the continuance makes some sense, but. There's nothing like being able to sit down and, and over a Coca-Cola or a cup of coffee and, and have conversation with people mm-hmm. and to touch people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, I've I really missed that and I'm looking forward to it at this next convention. Um, and there'll be some very, as they call them, hot topics mm-hmm. that will be on the floor and uh, hopefully uh, enough people have learned how to do civil discourse so mm-hmm. that we can move forward. Um, you know, the Standing Commission on Liturgy and Music will have quite a bit um, yep. in in their frying pan. Uh, <laughs> there'll be, uh, I'm sure, quite a number of people looking at uh, reparations as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how we work with that so it's it's going to be exciting the the worship and the fellowship are going to be uh, probably the most gratifying
0: yeah yeah that big family reunion that we missed out on yeah, yeah. how about you deputy Carr cornejo
2: yeah so i um, i'm excited for worship together um like Many folks in our church, I can be really stuck in my ways about what I want worship to do and how I want worship to feel. And I have always really appreciated that general convention worship shows me that I need to be more open to what I think I need to do or feel or hear. And particularly, you know, since we all live in our own context, being exposed and being able to share in so many contexts that aren't mine, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of just worshiping God, is amazing. So I love that. Um, And I'm also really excited to just see what happens. You know, um, I often go into general convention feeling. Anxious and because this is my third as a deputy, yeah, and I was an alternate before that. Um, and I always go and be like, Oh, why did I say I wanted to do this? Uh, uh, uh. Um, and I get stressed, and I'm like, Nothing's gonna happen. And then I always come away just so energized and hopeful about the work of God in the world and the work of our church as part of that. Um, mm-hmm. and I am just. Really, I'm, I'm hoping to skip ahead from the anxiety pre-convention and then just like get to the good stuff, but um, yeah. Though I am also like, I still wear a mask everywhere. I still teach in a mask. I still haven't had COVID, knock on wood, please mm. pray. <laughs> um, and I'm also really cognizant of the fact that there are still people at really high risk um in our communities and our families and so um I hear everyone else around me being really excited to be in person um but my prayer is that we will still be really careful and we will care for each other and we will watch out for one another um and respect that because for some people it's still it's still a day-to-day thing that they worry about so Mm -hmm. yeah thank you for reminding
0: us of that Deputy Carr Cornejo one of the great joys of doing these podcasts are introducing deputies to each other. So when you were talking about your anxiety, Catherine, Deputy Conley was over here smiling like she knew. And since this will be your 10th something, <laughs> Deputy <laughs> Judy Conley, I think now you might have someone that you can say, what do you do with those pre-convention jitters? I'm it's experienced.
2: <laughs> you make sushi? Right. Is that what you said? Spreadsheets. I make spreadsheets. Last year for our deputation. oh spreadsheets. I made oh, a spreadsheet of all of the um, resolutions, and like <laughs> yeah. I love that. Good to know. We are,
1: we are in in Arizona. We're really very fortunate in that um, it was decided to have a suite for our deputies to come and and. Have breakfast and lunch because we provide it there, and it's a time when we can come and support each other, and uh, being with um, because when you're on the floor, obviously you're together, but so much is going on mm-hmm. that um, you know you're fo- you should be focused on the work at hand, but it, it allows us to to relax. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. I think we just have to practice that. There's, there's no formula for getting rid of anxiety because it's up to the individual. But what is helpful for us is that we do have a time uh, that we can come together and a place to go where mm-hmm. we can relax.
0: It also sounds like another way that you all are able to build community with each other and, and sort of debrief and reflect, too. Oh,
1: yeah, indeed. Uh, That happens. Yeah.
0: Wonderful. As we wrap up today's conversation, I want to extend my deepest gratitude to Deputies Judith Conley and Deputy Catherine Carr Cornejo for sharing their insights and passion with us. Learning more about the work that these two standing commissions are doing has been truly enlightening to our listeners. Thank you for joining us on this exploration of how formation and mission are integral parts to our church's mission. Your engagement and curiosity fuel this podcast. We're eager to hear your thoughts and questions. Reach out to us through our website or on social media channels. We value your feedback and we look forward to incorporating your perspectives in the future episodes. Don't forget to tune in to our next episode where we'll dive into another critical aspect of our church's life and mission. Until then, keep reflecting, keep the faith, and keep the faith at the center of your 81st General Convention journey. Thank you for listening to the House of Deputies podcast. Go in peace.
3: For 100 years, the generous donations of Episcopalians and supporters to the Good Friday offering have helped the Christian presence in the land of the Holy One to be a vital and effective force for peace and understanding among all of God's children. A lifeline of hope in times of genuine need in years past, the Good Friday offering continues to support churches, medical programs, and schools today. Now more than ever, we celebrate the centennial of this historic fund Your support is needed. Give online at iam.ec slash Good Friday Offering or text GFO to 91999. Good Friday Offering, celebrating a century of gifts and rejoicing in 2,000 years of good news.